The passage this morning is Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 8. If you have a house Bible, the page number is 322. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. This is God's word. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer? Father, there is a, there's a power here, Lord. And the power that's here is your presence. The power that's here, God, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. You are the one who knows the hearts of every person here, Holy Spirit. And you are the one who knows the hearts of God. So, Father, I pray that you might reveal to us the mystery of what you're doing, what you're speaking, the things that are happening in our lives that, God, we might not understand, we might not know, God. Today, may we have a greater faith in you as we turn our eyes and we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, the church prays together. Amen. As Josiah had mentioned, we are uh, three weeks away from wrapping up our series in Ecclesiastes. And uh, maybe you've just come in here today for the first time on Sunday, and um, I want to let you know that Crosspoint is a church, we, we just simply open books of the Bible, and we go verse by verse through books of the Bible until we're done with them. And so we've been in Ecclesiastes, I think this is our 12th week, and then we've got two more weeks ahead, which will make it a 14-week series and Ecclesiastes is one of those often overlooked books because we kind of wonder, how can I understand this? How can I understand some of what seems to be a riddle? And one of the reasons why I love the book of Ecclesiastes is because Ecclesiastes is really honest. It's very truthful. And it's a lot like life. Because life, we can ask the question, how can I understand this? Ecclesiastes seems like it's dealing with a lot of chaos, but life feels chaotic, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes deals with a lot of difficulties, but we also know that life is filled with difficulties. But we also know that the preacher here, Solomon, he's the wisest person that has ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. One author calls him history's wisest fool. Ecclesiastes points us to wisdom for daily life in view of of a creator, God who made everything. 
And he uses this language of vanity, hevel. It's like smoke and mirrors. It's like trying to grab something as if it's substantial. And as you grab it, it slips through your fingers and it's not there any longer. And he he says, that's a lot like life. Life is short. Life is fleeting. Enjoyment is here today and it seems like it's gone tomorrow. Then how are we called to live? And today I want us to see Ecclesiastes chapter 11 in view of these two overlapping realities, these two intersecting truths that kind of come to head that the preacher wants us to come to terms with. And number one is God is in control. And number two is that trouble is coming. God is in control and trouble is coming. Let let me take you there just by the way of the preacher from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3.14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. God is in control. Ecclesiastes 7.13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Who can undo what only God has done? And how can we live in God's world under God's rule and reign. And then trouble is coming. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 15. In my vain life I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. It's kind of this backwards world where, you know, someone who does all the right things suffers the same fate as the wicked, and someone who does all the wrong things gets the reward of the righteous. Trouble is coming. This world is not as you think or not as it appears to be. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 1, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is in love, whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. That it really doesn't matter what you do, good or bad. Doesn't matter how well you prepare your life or you regard your life. Trouble's coming. And it doesn't mean that God's mad at you. It doesn't mean that God loves you when things go well. It doesn't mean that he hates you when things aren't going well. It just means that both the righteous and the wicked, their lives are in the hands and the everlasting control of God. So today we ask the question, how do we live with purpose in God's world? How do we live with purpose in God's world? Billy Graham is a man that I admire. He is one of my faith heroes. Last week, Carrie and I watched a documentary on Netflix, which I really recommend. If you don't know Billy Graham, he's known as America's Preacher really an evangelical powerhouse that was passionate about the gospel and seeing people know God's salvation through God's love. Just a really simple man with a simple message. But he was a man of conviction. Billy Graham was preaching in the Soviet Union and it was a contentious gig. There were 
people in the United States who were mad at him for going there. In fact, many people dismissed him as a communist because of it. And if you know the history of American freedom and communism, you know they don't gel very well together. And you also know that the Iron Curtain was in order to keep freedom out of the USSR. But he got this invitation to go to a peace conference and to proclaim the good news of the gospel there. And many people said, don't do it. Don't take this gig. It's only going to hurt you. But Billy Graham saw an opportunity to preach the gospel into a dark place, the midst of the people with darkened vision, darkened eyes, so that they might see the light. And on his way home from this opportunity, he turned to his friend and he said, my ministry career might be over with. You think about America's preacher, Billy Graham, the powerhouse in his mind thinking, my ministry career might be over with. Why? Because he didn't play the tune that the people wanted him to play to. Later, the news reporter had asked Billy Graham why he did what he did. They said, you knew that they would use it for propaganda. They, you knew they would use this familiar American firebrand in order to prop up their communist agenda. Why did you do it? He said, because my propaganda is stronger than theirs. And God used Billy Graham in a powerful way in the Soviet Union. And now the Iron Curtain is down. And we also know that people came to Christ as a result of his ministry. And what Billy Graham thought was his ministry potentially going under it was God planting a seed that would grow in a marvelous way, many ways he has never seen and we will never see on this side of eternity. Now, now you might think, hey, that's Billy Graham. What about me? I'm not Billy Graham. I don't have those gifts or abilities. I, I can't do what he did. I'm just a regular Joe Schmo living in Orlando. I mean, seriously, how can God use me? Philip Graham Ryken asked this question. He says, sometimes it's tempting to wonder whether anything we do for God really matters. We pay, pray for a friend, but does our prayer ever get answered? We give money to help the poor, but does it really change their lives? We share the gospel, but does anyone ever get saved? You never know, or at least sometimes it feels that way. How many of you can resonate with that? I'm just curious. How many of you could resonate? I, I can. Should I use microphone only God knows all right let's use the handheld so I, I can resonate with that because you know there's so many times where I wonder did, did, did what I do even matter there did that phone call did that two hours spent with that person did that five years of my life did it really even matter and we live in a world, though, that sometimes we wonder if it really matters, but we understand that only God knows and that God is in control, that we are living a life of purpose under God's rule. And so the book of Ecclesiastes deals with that. I, I want to cover this passage in four parts. Number one, uh, I want us to see that we are to be wise with what we have. We're to be wise with what we have, verses one and two. Number two is that we won't let uncertainty rule us. 
Don't let uncertainty rule, verses three and four. Number three is that God knows what he's doing, so trust him. Verses five and six. And then finally, life is a gift. Enjoy it. Verses seven and eight. So the first thing that we see here in the passage as it relates to what God is doing in the life of his people and even in the life of us is that we would be wise with what we have. We've all been given things. We've all been given time. We've all been given money. We've all been given talents or gifts and abilities. And anything and everything that we've been given, we invest back into the world whether we realize it or not. So when you spend an hour somewhere, that is an investment. Maybe it was sleeping last night. That was an investment into your rest and your health, right? Good job sleeping last night. Maybe you didn't sleep last night. You should have slept last night. You're going to be sleeping here. Don't do it, all right? Don't do it. But every moment of every day, you're investing your time, your money, and your energies somewhere. Be wise with it. Be wise with it. We're called to be stewards of the resources that God has given us. Because everything that we have is a gift from God. And because God has given it to us as a gift from him, we are to honor and glorify him with it. So we are to be wise with what he has. And so uh, Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1, cast upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Now the picture here is not us sitting along Lake Eola and feeding the ducks and throwing soggy bread into the water. The picture here is an imagery that was known at that time by the people of Israel and the people of Jerusalem as kind of this maritime commerce, this sea trade that would happen where you would fill a ship with goods and you would fill a ship with cargo and that ship would go off to some distant country and they would sell those things or trade those things and after a few days or a few years or a decade, that ship would come back and it would be filled with goods that would bless the city, that would be good for the kingdom, that would be good for the people of the kingdom. And so it was wise for a king, it was wise for the city, it was wise for a kingdom to invest those things so that they would have more. I mean, it's a simple principle of life is you've been given something and you are to make much of that. That you are to invest what God has given you to honor and glorify him. There's a parable of talents. I don't know if you know the story of the parable of talents, but there's three servants that are that are. Uh, servants of a master who leaves town and that master wants these servants to multiply some of his resources and so what he does is he gives one servant a certain amount of resources he gives another servant a certain amount of resources they're called talents it's like money and he gives another servant some money and some talents to invest it in you know that two servants invested that money and when the master came back they were able to give him the return on his investment but the third servant what did he do he buried the money And he brought the master back what he buried. And the master called him a wicked servant. It's important for us to realize that these parables are meant to find ourselves in them. That Jesus told these parables in order that the people would find themselves in the middle of the parable. And the reason why he was telling the parable is because he didn't want the people to see themselves as the good servants. He wanted the people to see themselves as the wicked servants. Why? Not so they could hammer them over the head, but so that they would put their trust in the master. Because the point of the story isn't what return on investment are you bringing, 
but are you being faithful with what you've been given? Do you hear that? Are you faithful with what you've been given? That we would be wise with what we have. Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And some of us, it's scary. So what we do, because we don't know what tomorrow brings, we just hoard, we just build up, we just think about ourselves and what disaster may strike tomorrow, and we want to be ready for some unknown disaster tomorrow, and we're not doing, we're not living faithfully with what God has given us. Randy Alcorn is an author and a pastor, and he writes this, he says, abundance isn't God's provision for me to live in luxury. It's his provision for me to help others live. God entrusts me with his money, not to build my kingdom on earth, but to build his kingdom in heaven. There's something that's so incredible when you think about it, that God would entrust us with these resources, not not so that we would build our little K kingdom, Not so that we would make this life all about us or that we would accomplish our will, but that his will would be done. That his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven through the resources that he has given to us. And you might think today, I I don't have abundance. I really don't. Like, I'm broke. I'm a college kid for crying out loud. I'm broke. I'm a teacher. I don't have any money. I could do it without the mic. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty loud as it is. Get rid of this. Test, test. Put it back on. Okay, sorry. We could have a prayer meeting for the microphone here. All right. Try that better. Sounds good. Yeah, great. Um, you might think, I, I, I don't. I don't have anything. How can I possibly, how could God possibly use what he has given me? Oh, you have little faith. Whether God's given you one talent or 10 talents or 15 talents, God's given you something. And our job isn't to see the return on investment. Our job is to trust the return on the investment belongs to him, but to live faithfully in the midst of it. And that's the way that God is calling us to live, even though disaster may strike. Second point is that we won't let uncertainty, we don't let uncertainty rule us. Tomorrow is uncertain. Listen to me, tomorrow is uncertain. I I can't tell you enough times, tomorrow is uncertain and it's scary and we could live in some kind of bunker and we could try to wait it out because we don't know what tomorrow brings but we're not really living if we live that way. And so the the preacher here says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. There's a few things the preacher tells us what we do know in spite of what we don't. We do know that when the clouds get over an area and they're full of rain, they empty themselves out over wherever they're at, right? 
we do know that trees are standing right now and one day those trees are gonna fall. No matter how big, no matter how strong, no matter how mighty, no matter how, how deep those roots might go, one day that tree will fall and where it falls, it will lie. And we are called to, in the middle of that uncertainty, trust God, walk with God, cooperate with God. I, I remember when, when I was a kid, we had uh, a big Australian pine tree in the front of our house. And uh, I remember dad thinking that, man, that tree's ugly, number one. Number two, if that tree ever falls, it's going to be disaster because it could fall right on the cars. It could fall on the house. It could fall on the mailbox. You know, there's any number of things that could happen with that tree. And so one day dad got out there with a chainsaw and this is a towering tree. And so it was more than a one man job. And he tied a rope somewhere. I, I can't even remember how he got the rope up there, but he tied a rope to it and he had us kids and a few other neighbors that were pulling the rope like a tug of war against the tree. And so in order to control where the tree might fall, he took his chainsaw and he was just trying to measure it perfectly as best as he could. And then everybody, when he said, hey, pull, you pull, right? And then at some point you had to let go because if you didn't like, if you didn't stop pulling, then you were falling down with the tree. So it was kind of a near-death experience, um, which was quite amusing. But, you know, one of the things that dad was wise about doing was, hey, I've got to do something with this tree before this tree does something to me. <laughs> and it worked. He got the tree to fall where he wanted it to fall. And then we chopped it up and went to the beach. That's a great Saturday in the Walker household. It was fun. But life doesn't always have that kind of certainty. You can't mitigate every single problem. You can't get insurance for everything. Have you noticed that you can buy insurance on the very littlest things? They got insurance for cell phones. They got insurance for anything that you need. If you buy a set of $30 headphones, pay $3 and you can get insurance on it. In order to mitigate risk, we try to ensure that damage won't be done. And if damage is done, then we wanna be repaid. But the world doesn't work that way. Why? Because you can't ensure the inevitable. You can't ensure death. You can't. You can get life insurance, and sure, you get life insurance, you won't see any of it. I promise you that. You won't. Get life insurance all you want and get it sky high. You won't be able to spend it. Somebody else will. So you cannot let uncertainty rule you. He says, he who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. Sidney Gradanus says, when we do not know that our work will be successful, we tend to do nothing. When we do not know our work will be successful, we tend to do nothing. Do you know that's the great danger of life? Is that you're so afraid of what's ahead that you don't do anything? That's the great danger. In fact, I think modern Christianity can be that. Let's just love God. Let's read the Bible. Let's pray. Let's do Bible studies. But what about the advancement of God's mission in the lost and broken world? And Christianity has to move forward in the midst of the uncertainty of the clouds. You know, the farmer isn't, that's watching the weather channel and sees there's a 10% chance of rain, he's not going to do anything. Well, if, if he's a bad farmer, he's not going to do anything because he knows that there's a chance of rain. 
And so he knows that if he sows some seed, then it may not, may not stay where he puts it, or it may be swept away in the river. Or maybe the winds are blowing, and if he sows seed, well, the winds will blow it, and then it will blow it on somebody else's property, and so the crop will grow, but it won't be his. And because there's a chance, because there's a chance, the farmer chooses to do nothing. That's a horrible farmer. That's a horrible farmer. And we think in our lives, because there's a chance of this, I'm not going to go into this career. Because there's a chance my marriage may fail, I'm not going to get married. Because there's a chance of this, because there's a chance of that. We do these things because we think that we're in control. And even though we know uncertainty is there, we're paralyzed by analysis because we can't do anything because we can't see the outcome. It's an outcome-oriented faith. And that causes us to fail. If we're looking at an outcome for our faith to be successful, God, I'll do it if this happens then you're not looking to God. You're looking to what God can do for you instead of what God has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you see that we can't look at an outcome-oriented faith and we must look at an object-oriented faith. The object of our faith is Jesus. We can't look at the results. God's saying, do it and trust me because the results are in his hands. You gotta think that when Billy Graham was flying over to the Soviet Union, that's what he was doing, because he knew it could cost him his career. Don't let uncertainty rule. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not men. Whatever you do. Sometimes we get that backwards. We think that I've got to become approved by man, so I'm gonna work for man. If man doesn't approve me, then I'm not going to do anything. God says, whatever you do, whatever you lay your hands to, do it diligently, do it well, do it with great expectation, and do it for King Jesus. If you fail miserably, man, just fail working really hard. It's okay. You don't have to have a fear of failure in life because it'll constantly paralyze you. But whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men. And trust God, because God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. How many of you have ever had God call you and ask you for advice? Anybody, anybody, no? Has God ever made a counseling appointment with any of you? Is it, hey, hey, uh, I, hey, Ryan, I, I just need a little time with you. How's Wednesday at 3.30 p.m.? Well, let me see if I can fit you in my schedule, God. How does that work? It doesn't. Because God's not waiting for you to do anything. He's not waiting for you to do anything. God is working all things in accordance with his will. God is moving things. He's doing things. He's changing lives. He's changing hearts. And what seems to be trouble, what seems to be difficulties, God's using those things to get glory through them. How many of you have ever looked at something so horrendous and said to yourself, how could God get glory through that? How many of you have ever done that? I have. I've looked at something. I'm wondering, God, how are you going to get glory through that? I wonder when Jesus' mom was watching him die on the cross if she said that very same thing. 
I wonder. Because God is, knows what he's doing and our call is to trust him. Listen, I know that his approval ratings are down. <laughs> I know it. His approval ratings are down. And if we were held election today, God would be unseated uh, from his godness if we had the opportunity to vote him out of office. But he was never voted into office. God is who he was yesterday, today, and he will always be tomorrow because God is God and we are not. Don't be distracted by the fake news. Don't be distracted by the fake news. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We all know that God is the one who gives life and breath. We see it when a baby is born, that that baby is a mystery that has been forming in its mother's womb with care. Somehow that baby is born with the love and care and grace of God. But we somehow forget that when we woke up this morning, we were given that same life and breath, don't we? We somehow forget that God is the one who sustains our life and not just the author of life. The call here is to trust the one that's not just the author of life, but the sustainer of life. We need to realize that. This week I spoke to someone who shared with me that their marriage was, was in jeopardy. There are difficulties going on in their marriage. And you know what they said? I realized what I never realized. My marriage belongs to God. This week I talked to someone who was going through financial difficulties and there was uncertainty ahead for their finances. You know what I realized from that? That their finances, my finances, belongs to God. Someone who went through job uncertainty and wonders whether they're gonna have a job next month, whether they'll be transferred or where they might go, their job belongs to God. Children who are rebellious, what's going to happen with them in the future? Your children belong to God. Whether you have health problems and those health problems bring this reality of your need, you know what it shows you? Your body belongs to God, doesn't it? Now, that's all true, but when everything was going well, it was still true, wasn't it? Why are we a people who are just kind of like, just realize that when all hell breaks loose and the bottom falls out, then we finally realize, man, my marriage belongs to God. My life belongs to God. Because somehow we think we've gotten control and we failed to trust God. I'm telling you guys, God knows what he's doing. Trust him. Trust him. You do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the book of Job, there's this contentious battle between Job wrestling with God and God speaking to him. And God lets him have it. He says, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you might take it to its territory and that you may discern the path to its home? Can you send forth lightnings so that they may go and say to you, here we are. You can't, but God can and God does. Everything happens according to the sustaining power of God. There is not one thing that happens without his permission. 
this is the great and mighty God we serve. And so when trouble strikes, when we don't know the future, we're asking this question, will I have pain or will I have prosperity? Will I have pain or will I have prosperity? In the morning sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. When you try to decide your career, you're asking if it will be successful. Who knows if this industry is going to be there in 10 years from now. When you choose a spouse and you wonder, man, is this going to go? Like, am I going to have a happy marriage? Am I going to be happy here? When you choose a place to live, is this home going to be a home that's going to fulfill me? Is it going to be a neighborhood that I'm going to go into and it's going to be okay? We're asking the question, will I have pain or will I have prosperity? But really, I think the question is, is how can I honor God where I am right now and take steps of faith believing in him in the midst of the uncertain future that I face? How can I trust him? Sometimes anxiety overwhelms me. I don't know about you. I read this quote and it meant something to me last week. Louis Giglio said, don't be stressed over anything that God's not stressed about. <laughs> it's pretty simple, right? Don't be stressed over anything that God's not stressed about. God is not just like, oh my me. Oh, how am I going to get through this? That's not him. If that's him, then we're worshiping the wrong God. That he is a God who knows everything and is working all things in accordance of his will. So don't be stressed over anything that God's not stressed about. Because he promises to help you through it, whether pain or prosperity. And here's the other thing I realize. When I'm going through times of prosperity, I often don't look towards God. I often don't look towards God. When I'm going through times of prosperity, I often neglect him. But I do know this, that sometimes God uses pain to show me how much I need him. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. God uses pain to show me how much I need him. So who are we to think that God won't use pain in our life, maybe tomorrow, maybe even this afternoon, to cause us to be in a place of humble dependence upon him. You know we're his children, right? And he says, whatever you ask, I will give to you. Now, he's not asking you to ask for a million bucks because I, you can try it. As long as you tithe, go for it. Um, but God gives according to his will. When we ask in accordance with God's will, there's something powerful that happens. There's this alignment of our love and alignments of God's love that collides. And we know that God is in control and we know that trouble's coming. We say, God, use me in the midst of the uncertainty. God, I'm your servant. And whether I have cancer or whether I've got a clean bill of health, God, use me. Because my life belongs to you. What's the worst thing that could happen to us? Death? Jesus already said something about that. He's defeated it. It's a, it's a foe that he's fought and won. He cannot destroy us. Satan cannot destroy us. But God has exalted us through the exaltation of his son. So listen, because the worst has already happened, you can trust God. 
This is not just me putting my preacher hat on and preaching you. Like, this is me having to live my life in reality and my dad dying just three months ago and saying, God, God, why? Why? And then God taking the why and saying, why don't you just make it how? How? How can you use me in the midst of this trouble? How can you cause me to help others grow in their faith in the midst of this uncertainty? How can you cause what seems to be the worst thing that can happen? How can you help me know that it's really a great thing because my dad is in the arms of his loving father in heaven for all eternity? That's real. It's not a fairy tale, it's real. So trust him. And then finally, life is a gift. Enjoy it. Life is a gift. Enjoy it. Your days are numbered. My days are numbered. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know how many more days you have left. Nobody can tell you that. Nobody's reading a crystal ball that'll give you that answer. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So when you wake up and the sun is shining, man, see that sun and say, thank you, God, for another day. How can I live for you? How can I enjoy what you've given me today? When you have a meal and you have friends around you, you enjoy that meal with thanksgiving and you enjoy that fellowship with delight because God has given it to you as a good gift. Your days are numbered, so enjoy them as a sweet gift that God has given. If you're trying to number your days, let me tell you this, you won't enjoy them. But if you put your trust in the one who has your days numbered, then you'll enjoy every one of them. Why? Because he's made you to enjoy those days, those years, those minutes, that time. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also put eternity into the hearts of man. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. You know, God hasn't given us the answer to everything. But he's given us just enough to seek him. And he'll keep giving you more. And oftentimes that more will be just enough to seek him. And oftentimes that more is prosperity, but it's also pain. And those things he gives us more to seek him. And he says, enjoy it. You can enjoy it because you know the future. And the future is just as I said it. You're safe. You're good. I've defeated death. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. He's not withholding anything. He is giving all things for your joy right now. You don't have to live in the future enjoyment of heaven all the time. You can live in the enjoyment of now because heaven is promised to you later. Enjoy life right now because God has called us to understand that. I want to ask this question. What is one thing that will help you love God more? What's just one thing in your life that will help you love God more right now? If you were to do something this week, what would it be that you would do in a repetitive nature? You know, like repetition creates results. You ever heard that saying? Repetition equals results. Just keep doing it. 
and it caused you to love God more? I, I often think through this, this question because there are things that cause me to not love God in life that I would do, to love God less, so to speak. They steal my love from God. Those are things I have to stay away from, like binge watching Netflix for 48 hours. Like that steals. Somehow I feel stupider after that. I don't know about you, but I'm like, why did I just do that? But then there's things that stir my affections for God. There are things that cause me to love him more, like, like in the morning, like, like opening a psalm and reading the psalmist say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. It just stirs my affections for God. Prayer, dinner with good friends. What's one thing that you can do that would cause you to love God more? There, there's a guy, his name, his name is Augustine. He says it real simple. He says, Love God and do what you please. How do I walk in the will of God? How do I live in a world that's filled with uncertainty, but yet God is in control? It's real simple. Love God and do what you please. Oftentimes we get half of that. Do what you please. But we don't understand love God. Because if you're devoting yourself to the first, then the second will follow. And he'll honor him. If you're devoting yourself to a love of God and you say, God, man, my heart needs rearranged, I'll just seek to love God and guess what? He will rearrange your heart and then you'll do what he pleases. You'll do what you please and it'll be one thing because God wants you to make a difference in this world. It's real, really quite simple. Jesus says it well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second of these is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're loving God with everything that you have, then you'll be generous with what God has given you. If you're loving God with everything that you have, then you'll trust him in the midst of uncertainty. If you're loving God with everything that you have, then you know that God's work is always good all the time. And if you're loving God with all your heart, you're going to know that life is meant to be a gift, to be enjoyed. And you're going to enjoy it. So how do we go about loving God better? How do we rely on God's spirit to do that? Because listen to me, friends, we can't do it in and of our own strength. The cross is proof of that. We need his help. Because you can't leave here today and I'm going to love God more, man. I am just going to. I'm going to read my Bible for an hour tomorrow. Maybe three hours. Hey, who knows? No. You can't do it. You need awaken to the love of God. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe you're coming in here for the first time saying this is a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Let me tell you something. The message of Christianity is that you can't love God, but he loved you first. And he gave himself up for you. He showed you that love. If there is ever a time for Jesus to look at the clouds and check the wind, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying prayer, a prayer to the Lord. And he had blood dripping from his face. It was sweat that was with blood in it. If there was a time for him to turn back around, it was there. Now you can do it. The disciples are sleeping. They're not going to know you're going anywhere. Like, just turn back around. And Jesus is in the garden, and he's got this cup. I don't know if he had a, a real cup or if it was just Jesus saying, I've got this container that you've given me, and I want you to take it from me. If possible, take this cup from me. You know what it was filled with? God's wrath. 
if possible, take this cup from me. That's our Savior on his knees with sweat filled with blood. And you know why he did that? Because there was another cup that we're offered to drink. And it's the cup of salvation. Jesus didn't need the cup of salvation. He didn't need it. He didn't need the cup of God's wrath. But we deserved it. And so Jesus says these words in the garden, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. You know what he says here? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Nevertheless. You know, today, our call is this call to say the same words of Christ in the midst of the trouble that this world has. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath down to the last drop. There's nothing in it that all the wrath of God was satisfied on this person, Jesus. And because of that, he did this with his disciples. Then that night, he offered his body and his blood. He said, take this cup. Take this bread. Do this in remembrance of me. So listen, friends, no, you don't have to drink the cup of God's wrath because it's already drank down to the dregs. But we can drink today with satisfaction the cup of salvation that's in Christ. You could leave here loving God because he loved you first and he gave his son for you and his Holy Spirit will help you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for for what you've done. Father, thank you for showing us, Lord, the picture of love. That God, you have cast your bread on the waters. And that, Father God, you are making for yourself a people of your own possession. People that will love you, that will sacrifice their lives for you. Because, Lord, you loved us first and gave us our hope in your son, Jesus. We say thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand as we sing this song in worship and praise and adoration of him?